It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and on the Radio Player Canada app, and on our website, elementfm.ca. I'm Kathy Sabokin. Well, the Honourable David Lametti, Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada, introduced Bill C-15. It's an act representing the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. The federal government tabled new legislation in the House of Commons, and it aims to align Canada's laws with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. We otherwise call it UNDRIP. Well, Mr. Lametti, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. We, we really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Can you detail for us what Bill C-15 involves? Well, it, it, it's, it, is, the, it is the legislation that um, begins the process of implementing uh, the United Nations Declaration, the Declaration under UNDRIP, uh, into Canadian federal law. Um, so the... Let me just back up a second. So UNDRIP as a declaration is a declaration about, frankly, human rights, uh, the, the human rights of Indigenous peoples, largely uh, created uh, for and by uh, in Indigenous peoples uh, a couple of decades ago, with with a great deal of Indigenous leadership from Canada, I might add, uh, Chief Wilton Littlechild, uh, Professor Sackage Henderson, uh, both both were were uh, key players in this, particularly Chief Littlechild. So it is it's a document that that in, that enumerates fundamental human rights. So the right to self determination, the right to language, the right to culture, stuff that that everybody should have. We all take it for granted, and. Um, we need i think we need to affirm this for uh, indigenous peoples themselves feel we need to affirm this and i agree with them so so this so we've already in canada um uh we have adopted uh we have adopted undrip so it already has interpretive force at all in 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 canada as as a un declaration as a un document um what this will do what this legislation will do in canada is um is require the Canadian government to align moving forward to align its legislation uh, with UNDRIP, with the principles enunciated in UNDRIP. And this will have, I hope, a transformative impact and a wide, wide ranging, uh, wide ranging impact on all on all kinds of federal laws. It in particular requires uh, the federal government to to work more collaboratively. Uh, with indigenous peoples on on a variety on a variety of different fronts. So I think I think this is the beginning of the process. As as Chief Willie Littlechild said to me the other day, we're all at the starting line again, but we're at the starting line together. And so this is this is I think a nice metaphor moving forward. Well, in, in Canada, our indigenous people have been dealing with issues like water that has to be boiled before anyone can even drink it, and substandard housing. Does this bill mean? those issues will change. Well, what it means is that the kinds of policies that are developed, uh, the kinds of laws that are enacted uh, moving forward will, will be done in a much more collaborative uh, fashion uh, with, with indigenous, with indigenous peoples, uh, preferably on a nation to nation basis uh, and preferably on a distinctions based basis. So, so, with 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 uh, different approaches uh, in in terms of the collaboration, whether it, it's Inuit, uh, First Nation, or Métis, so 
I think it'll help uh, prevent these kinds of tragic situations from happening down the road. Of course, we still have to work. Uh, we still have to, I have to work with, with my colleagues, uh, Mark Miller and Indigenous leadership across Canada to, to, to push on the, the drinking water, um, as, as, as Minister Miller admitted the other day, uh, and uh, push with Minister Bennett on, on more treaty recognition, developing uh, for, for, those, uh, for those nations that want to have a formal treaty, a modern treaty, uh, then that's the direction we need to go. Other, other nations uh, want um, simply to assert uh, their, their, uh, their self-determination. Uh, um, and uh, that is, that's a, a legitimate uh, option as well for a, a, number of different, uh, a number of different Indigenous people. So it, it, it helps get us to a better dialogue on a variety of different policy and legal issues so that hopefully we can avoid these kinds of situations where decisions were made, quite frankly, without consulting First Nations, Indigenous peoples generally. So it's a, it's a start. Now, right now, the legislation is proposed. How long will it take to implement it? Well, we have to get first. We have to get royal assent, uh, as as National Chief Belgard uh, repeated uh, at the press conference, and and uh, I'm hoping that that can be done relatively expeditiously. Remember that this the bill is largely based on a private member's bill that that uh, my former uh, colleague from the NDP, Romeo Saganash, who's a member of the Cree Nation uh, from James Bay uh, in in, uh, in Quebec. Um, he put it forward, and that bill passed through the House of Commons uh, in 2018, but sadly died in the Senate. Uh, a, senator, a certain group of senators resisted it, um, and because it wasn't a government bill, they they felt they had an excuse because they had to treat and it is it is a, a practice in the Senate to treat government bills with a greater degree of priority. Now it's a government bill. So we're no. going to get hopefully through the House of Commons and then the Senate, hopefully in, in relatively short order. Okay. Oh, in short order. Okay. So I, I heard a three-year timeline. No, that's the, that's to implement the plan. So once, once the, uh, once the um, legislation receives royal assent, then working collaboratively, uh, we haven't, uh, we haven't designated, the prime minister hasn't designated the minister in, in charge or the ministers in charge, but working collaboratively with uh, in Indigenous uh, peoples, uh, we, we would develop a plan uh, moving forward. And we have three years to do that. Um, and, and that I think would give us a sufficient degree of, of time to, to really do the, the, the deep consultation with uh, the various levels of Indigenous leadership across Canada. It's a fairly complex picture, but, it, but it's, an, uh, but it's, it's manageable in that sense if one has the time. Um, and we do have a model, right? British Columbia has done this uh, at the provincial level, and we hope to inspire other provinces also to do the same thing. And uh, you know, British Columbia has given us a good working model uh, in terms of how to move forward. I'm not saying we'll follow it uh, exactly, but it certainly it certainly uh, establishes uh, uh, some interesting uh, some interesting precedents in terms of in terms of how to move forward collaboratively. Okay, I'm speaking with the Honorable David Lametti, Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada, about Bill C-15, an act representing the United Nations Declaration 
on the rights of indigenous peoples. I am Kathy Sabokin. Now, Assembly of First Nations Chief Harry Belgard wants to know which government department would be responsible for UNDRIP's implementation. Good question. Fair question. Um, yeah, it was the, the the actual, this actual legislation was in my mandate letter. Um, there are a number of different uh, ministers and ministries uh, that, that work directly with uh, Indigenous peoples across Canada, obviously Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller and Crown Indigenous Relations under uh, under Minister Carolyn Bennett and, and then Dan Vandal uh, has a responsibility for the North and therefore uh, therefore has a great deal of, uh, of uh, responsibility with respect to uh, Indigenous peoples. Um, uh, Inuit and First Nations who find them and Métis who find themselves in the North. Um, so it 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 isn't. Um, I don't want to say we're we're avoiding. I, I would love to do it if I were sitting in this chair um, at the time when this was uh, when this plan was to be developed. But I think it's more just to give the prime minister uh, and a government of the day, hopefully our government, uh, the ability to really put together the the ministerial team that will work with indigenous peoples in a collaborative fashion based on i suppose the the human and ministerial capacities at the time you want your best people on it and uh and and i think we want to leave that uh leave that to the prime minister that being said that being said national chief belgard has a point in the sense that he wants to know uh, who his dance partners will be, um, and that's and that's a, a perfectly uh, that's a perfectly uh, legitimate viewpoint, and it's something that uh, we can discuss as this thing as this bill moves through the House of Commons. I'm open to discussing it, and and if and if there's a you know if if they're compelling set of arguments, that's not that's that's not something that that we would preclude changing by amendment. Now, we mentioned there are a lot of issues that have to be tackled, and Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett said the bill is a response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Can you respond to her comment? Yeah, she's absolutely right. We, we actually included uh, references to both of those, uh, both of those major uh, I don't want to just say their inquiries and reports because they were more than that. Um, there, there was a lot of human tragedy that that caused both uh, to be studied in in the way that they were. Um, but they, we we put explicit references to both of those in the preamble, and the principles that uh, that um, uh, motivated both of those, um, you know, the the, the recognition of systemic racism the 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 recognition of uh disastrous colonial decisions uh such as residential schools or the the kinds of systemic racism that leads uh to the disappearance of 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 indigenous women and girls um we need to address that we need we're, we need with this document and this process we need to turn around a hundred and 150 plus 200 years plus of colonialism um, and move to a better place. We want the next 150 years to be much better than the first for all Canadians, uh, Indigenous and, and non-Indigenous. And 
And so we need to recognize the, the kinds of findings that were found in those reports. And we need to incorporate the kinds of lessons and recommendations that were, uh, that were also present in those reports. So um, by doing it formally, we, we, we're trying to uh, really take responsibility, recognize for what's happened in the past and, and look to those documents uh, as a first place really uh, to, to look for solutions moving forward. Well, what are the next steps now moving forward? Well, next steps for me are to get this through Parliament. Um, it's it's my responsibility, uh, primary responsibility to see you know to see this through second reading, committee stage, third reading, and then and then and then to the Senate and hopefully royal assent. Um, once we get that, then then we look to the Prime Minister uh, for. Uh, again, depending on what happens if, if, with with the process, but th- whoever whoever will be responsible uh, for taking next steps will will work with that person. I'll work with that person. It may be me. Um, uh, we'll work forward to to begin to develop that action plan in consultation and, and cooperation with uh, Indigenous leadership across Canada. I know, just what happens if there's another election during this time of this process? Well, sadly, elections, uh, sadly, elections mean you lose what's in front of Parliament. Uh, I, I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm optimistic that we can get this done uh, expeditiously. So let let me be optimistic, uh, and and you know, I I, I don't. <laughs> I have a lot on my on my plate right now, and I really want to see it done. <laughs> so I'm I'm not, uh, I, you know, it's not my decision, obviously, but I I, I really do want uh, us to be focusing on what we should be focusing on, which is pandemic as a government, uh, which is, you know, uh, the, the once once we we feel we've got the the pandemic under control uh the the rebuilding of the economy and then these various legislative priorities including under if i i want to get that done before we even think about anything down the road well good to know it's at the top of your list one of of the items at the top of your list absolutely well anything you want to add minister lamedi uh, let me uh, look. I, let me end on a really optimistic point. I, I really feel this is a transformational moment. Uh, this is this is a, a time when we can sit back and reflect about, frankly, what we've done wrong and how we can do this better as a society. Um, and and I think UNDRIP as a document will take its place beside things like the the, the Canadian Charter um, and Section Thirty Five of the Constitution Act. Um, and, and I do think that there's a, there's a much better future if we can collaborate and, and work with the kinds of principles enunciated in this human rights document, because after all it is, it is fundamentally about human rights and, and, and human rights for everybody. We can do a better job. And I think this, this could be a turning point. Good to know. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yes, that's the Honorable David Lametti, Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada, who introduced Bill C-15, an act representing the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. I'm Kathy Sabokin. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. I'm Kathy Sabokin. 
Well, Teachings in the Air is a podcast focusing on Indigenous health and wellness that aims to inspire and motivate and empower men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what healthy means. Podcast host Elder Jerry Oldman joins me from Brandon, Manitoba. He's going to tell us all about season four titled Indigenous Is. Welcome, Elder Jerry. Uh, thank you, Catherine. I'm glad to be here and have a chance to share with you and the, the listeners. Well, we really appreciate your time. So tell us all about your new podcast. Okay, I, I my new podcasts are, the series is going to, is called Indigenous Is. As many know, you know, the we went through a cultural shock, I'll call it cultural shock. And, you know, we started a new way of life. And part of that is um, there was intentions to assimilate and to discourage our way of life. And our way of life included language, music, art, food, you know, mental health, physical health, spiritual health. And uh, when we started to drift away from that, we got in, we started to get in trouble. The health determinants, you know, mental and physical health, this seemed to go up rather than go down. Sure. Well, there's a lot of trauma. In, so in, I, in, so I said, I said to myself this time around, I'm going to do a series called Indigenous Is. And on the series, I'll interview practitioners of, you know, that do family healing. I use the word healing because the word heal means to, you know, to bring back to an original state. That's what the word heal means. So, you know, so when, once we make a mistake in relationship, like say family, you know, the, we need to heal that if it's a negative event so that they can again go forward as a unit. So um, I use the word heal often rather than therapeutic or any of those terms, because that's being indigenous. So I, my, one of the, I'm going to be interviewing um, a couple that work with families and it's culturally relevant techniques that they use for indigenous people. So what sort of culturally relevant techniques might there be? Well, like for instance, um, you know, being indigenous, the highest form of respect you, you show another human being is to listen to them when they're speaking to you and wait for them to finish. So in cultural relevant practitioners, uh, they, they'll seat people in a circle, they'll use a, a talking stick or a feather or a stone, and it gives everyone an opportunity to share in turn. You know, so, and uh, there will be specific instructions, for instance, where let's say we're gonna have a circle talking about anger. You know, because anger comes from being hurt, usually. Sure. You know, so so they'll sit in a circle and then they'll they'll use that um, technique called the sharing circle. So it's focused, you know, and everyone. Everyone uh, listens. Oh, uh, plus yeah. in, the, in the circle, you know, we're told that everyone's the same, literally. No one's higher, no one's lower. We're in a circle. We're we're a unit. Yes. So, Yes, I teach um, theater classes at York University, and 
when we're in class. I mean, we're not right now because of COVID, we're all on mm-hmm. Zoom, but we we sit in a circle because we want to make it known that everyone's equal. Also, because you can see each other. Yes. In a good circle, when you're sitting shoulder to shoulder, you don't have to turn your head too much to see everyone. Yeah, and it does it does create a sense of someone speaking. I I can hear them. The voice can travel right across the circle, and and so I guess we we stole that from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of my beliefs is that every human being, every every group at one time were tribal. So they used the same techniques before the industrial and agricultural revolutions, you know, <laughs> that we all come from that, you know, like shamans, you know, that we had the same teachings about how we treat Mother Earth and all the inhabitants of Mother Earth. I have that belief and that we, we need to go back to that, all of us, you know, because the farther we get away from it, the more individualistic we become. Right. And I think these are, even though they're indigenous teachings, I, I would agree they're strong teachings for all humans. Yes. Yes. Now, notice that you are focusing a lot on indigenous men's health as an important component of indigenous community health. And what leads you in that direction? Well, I've shifted since the first season I've I've now opened it up to, you know, around community, around human beings. In my language, we say uchelmiuch, it means original people. And um, we found, you know, that uh, we targeted men. And my listenership is, um, is female. You know, <laughs> and um, so I said to my crew, I said, we're going to open it up. You know, we'll interview, like, say, teenagers, adults, elders, but of all, you know, we won't have this, um, just men, you know, because we, they, my crew was sort of, they, they said they wanted to create a niche because there's so much out on the net already. And I said, no, we need to, you know, like if an auntie's listening, she might get her nephew to listen. Sure, sure. Yeah, so as a word of mouth, you know, to, hey, you should listen to this guy. You know, he's got something to say. Because I've I've received that feedback from um, listeners. One listener informed me, as soon as I listened to um, Tricksters and Transformers, for instance, I sent it to my dad. And this this lady was living in Vancouver, and she sent it, I think, to Alberta or Saskatchewan to her father, who's the same age as me. Like, I'm 71 now. Oh, that's young, 71. Yeah. So, you know, so that's what I feel that it's, I actually, my target is all human beings. Do you think in general in life, people aren't listening to each other enough? Yes. Problems. Yes, because it's, um, you know, in our ways, we, um, when we were still intact, one of the terms they would say to someone to you know that's obviously angry or depressed or fearful they'd encourage them to free themselves don't carry that around because when you do that you isolate yourself the word isolate actually means to become an island and um, so you become an island amidst all these people 
that are around you. When you're self-centered and focused like that, it's very easy to become addicted to anger, fear, or depression. And I feel that's happening now with humanity because we're not having um, these relationships or connecting with each other through voice and touch. Most people, no, no, they want, yeah, they want to text or yeah. email or Facebook or Instagram or something, you know. And the theater class that I teach, which is all about public speaking and mm -hmm. and being heard, listening, et cetera, et cetera, is, is all about that, how we've shifted away from live conversation and we've moved more onto the digital platforms, which is it's fine. I think it's yes. fine, but we're losing the art of the conversation. Yes, because now we talk in hashtags or one statement. Yeah, you know, and the one statement can be very clear if we cleverly craft a message, which we do when we face each other too. But the big, the big part of this that I see that it's very impersonal, or it can become highly personal. Like someone can get enraged at you. Like for me, for instance, say someone in Vancouver, and they <laughs> might say things to me on the on the net that they wouldn't say if we we're face to face. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. The tougher conversations are becoming fewer and farther apart. Now, I was reading some of your blogs and you've been writing about dealing with COVID-19 and mm -hmm. you say we need to warrior up. What do you mean by that? Well, we need to first off be responsible. Responsible to the children and the elders and our family because a war, that's what a warrior does. They're responsible. They have the ability to respond and they respond, you know, to what's going on. For instance, distancing, washing your hands, um, you know, connecting with people over distance. Like I done a, a, se a segment on ceremony over distance that we go to the next best thing. We don't give up. We keep going. I, for instance, um, I know that I'm here today because my great-great-grandfather and his family warriored up when smallpox hit my community in 1854. You know, they isolated. They listened to the ones that knew, and they isolated. Our, our permanent dwellings became graveyards, you know, because uh, the people that did not listen didn't leave. The byways, which were the rivers and lakes, that's where we had our permanent dwellings. So they warriored up and they left and they didn't go back. When they, when they finally went back, there was no fires and they knew everyone was dead or had passed on. So mm -hmm. they burnt the permanent dwellings and they became mass graveyards. So to warrior up, you must have patience and have this responsibility and this thought in my head that the children are relying on us to do the right thing, to be responsible and accountable. Now, so I like that you, you bring it back to the smallpox mm -hmm. because, we, because, yeah, you have, there was a major fight on your hands. Oh. Major fight, and it wiped out so many of your people. 85% of my people were wiped out by smallpox. And yes, you had to warrior up to 
get past that? You get the warrior up to get past so many things. Oh, we must, you know, because warrior, a warrior's their heart and mind and their spirit is all about the people and Mother Earth. That's what a, a warrior is. You know, so you're concerned about the safety of children, women, elders, you know, everyone. And also the, you know, the deer, the animals, all of our food sources. You're a steward yeah. and a protector of that because it's our life. You know, it's our future. You know, yeah. that you've heard that saying, um, we think seven generations. So if you think of a generation as 80 years, say, so that's 560 years that we're thinking that they're going to have the same water that we have, the same amount of salmon and deer and things. So that wasn't, to me, that philosophy was what led North America to be pristine and no extinct, extinction happening here when the indigenous people were here by themselves. Right. right. You, the, it's, you, you cared for it for thousands of years. Oh, yes. Carbon dating, they say, 10,000 years. I was reading a story about American Thanksgiving and some indigenous leaders in the U.S. pointing out that corn, potatoes, <laughs> tomatoes are, were all cultivated by indigenous peoples way back when. Mm -hmm. And that it's important not to forget that. We wouldn't have these things. Yes, I, I'd also read that 85% of the the medicines that are now made by pharmaceutical companies, the knowledge comes from indigenous knowledge. Is that right? Yes. You know, like um, red willow, for instance, a red willow bark is um, my granny. Would, I'd go pick it for my granny when I was a, a, a young lad. Oh, son, get me some red willow. I get it, and get me to break it up and she'd boil it because she had arthritis on her elbows. And she had put these compresses on her elbows and I could see her face relax. And um, then I found out later, years later, after my granny had passed on, there's got the same, the same um, as, as aspirin, that red willow bark, huh. you know? And then um, I, I, I'd ask, you know, how do our people know what medicine to use? You know, I told first off, there's medicine for every organ in the earth or on the earth. We just need to find the right combination because we got so much, just so many organs, eyes, you know, brain, <laughs> skin, heart, liver, pancreas, you know, there's medicine there. And part of the way they would find it is by the color. That it was one of the ways. And red <laughs> willow bark, red willow bark, and you think of arthritis as an inflammation. Yes, like, like, like yeah, like rheumatic arthritis, you know, when you have rheumatism, mm -hmm. it's referring to a river of fire because all of your joints can can get hit by this arthritis. Yes, very common. Yes, and the color of fire is red. There's redness in it. <laughs> but Jerry, what is your indigenous background? I'm a statlium. I'm of the Statlium people, and that's uh, there's 11 communities with the Statlium language from Whistler in British Columbia to Cache Creek, which is uh, so we're coast mountain people. We live in the coast mountains. 
Okay, very nice. But you moved on to yourself. You ended up in Brandon. Yes, my wife got a job here at the college. Oh. And and she was um, looking for a position. You know, she she got a PhD in um, policy and stuff. And she was trying to find the right fit. um, Funny enough, it ended up in Brandon. So I told her, yeah, you know, I'll I'll come along, you know. Because I semi-retired as a consultant, you know, and I could pick and choose work. And so we came to Brandon. And yes, you consulted hundreds of people, have you not? Oh, all over North, all over Canada and down into the United States. Okay, I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But first, I want to let everyone know you're listening to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto. 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also find us on the Radio Player Canada app and on our website, elementfm.ca. That is E-L-M-N-T-F-M.ca. I'm Kathy Sabokin, filling in for David Moses along with my guest, Elder Jerry Ullman. Now, Jerry, what would you say when you're coaching non-Indigenous groups, what do people usually want to, want to know? What do they ask you? Well, you know, non-Indigenous people, to me, are having an identity problem. (laughs) How's that? Well, I'll I'll ask, you know, I'm I'm into identity because, um, you know, this identity of what is a Canadian? We must settle, come to an agreement on what a Canadian is and then live that. And I feel that there's this confusion because they they come from so many backgrounds. Yes. You know, and they come here. Like, I'll I'll tell, like, I I feel this um, guilt and shame and anger sometimes from Canadians. Because, you know, I talk about um, our recovery and what we're recovering from. (laughs) You know, we're recovering from loss of territory, loss of language, loss of music. You know, it's not totally lost and still here. But yeah, it's, it's still severely, there. It's got to be severely ahead. Yes. So I see the, the Canadians. I remember I was doing a lecture at UBC and I'd seen these were young Canadians in the School of Medicine at uh, UBC. And I'm looking at them. They're all so young, you know, and, uh, Asians, uh, racialized Canadians, and uh, a few Indigenous, but majority of European descent. And I, you know, I would uh, get them to give me feedback in statements on written file cards at the end of my presentations. And what did they say? And they were, some of them were saying, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm angry. I did not know this because I was lecturing on the impact of residential school on indigenous health, you know, and uh, they'd say, I'm angry. I did not know this. Why did was I not taught this? I'm, I'm ashamed to be white. I'm ashamed to be Christian. I'm ashamed to be Canadian. I would lecture and I literally at times see students weeping. Uh-huh. Because, you know, I would talk about, I, I refuse to use PowerPoint or anything. I just use my voice and usually a drum or a rattle. And I speak from the heart. And I would tell them the impacts of abuse on myself personally at the residential school. 
and what that what that led me to, what the, my road was after that experience of addictions, of uh, depression, you know, my life, and, uh, and how I got out of it. And I would tell them this happened, you know, to children right across Canada. And the federal government and the churches that were involved knew that there was sexual abuse happening in these institutions. And I said, uh, sexual abuse, and I read, I mentioned the criminal code, what sexual abuse is. I said, all of that happened to boys and girls at the residential school. It's terrible. So you can see court records, and you can see that there's 38,000 registered cases of physical sexual abuse at those residential schools. And I said, 38,000 is not the number. Because many died before we even started talking about this. No, there's a story out of Abbotsford, British Columbia, where a, a, a parent, an Indigenous mom, her child was at school and she came home with an assignment. They were told to find po five positive stories, positive yes. stories about residential schools and then write about it. Mm -hmm. Really, I, I think we have to really own what happened in the past before we can really move forward. Yes. You see, when you ask me what do Canadians say to me usually, what I get at times is this feeling of I'm sorry. But, I, you know, I didn't ask to be born white or I didn't, I wasn't there when that was happening. You know, so... Uh, often I'd say to them, you know, I forget, I forget, I, you know, first off, I welcome you here. Sure. I, I accept that you're here. You're not going anywhere. And you're probably like me. You got people buried in the ground here, just like me. So in the sense, you belong here. You're connected here now. But please, you know, start asking yourself these questions. Like, what am I doing to deserve, to deserve living in such a beautiful country, so rich in resources? Hmm. So I say, I remember I said that to these UBC students. I said, you belong here. I could see them. I remember the, the faculty member said, you know, Jerry, when you come in, generally in this lecture hall, you know, they're sitting in rows. Sure. Yeah, they're not. No, uh, there. It's, it's <laughs> descending. So I can look way up at top and I see students up there. 250 students in the lecture hall. <laughs> and he says, you know, you can hear a pin drop in here when you're talking. They close their computers and they're listening to you. I told him, yes, because I'm talking about what's real, what I went through and how it impacted me. And I, I like that you're saying that um, settlers, <laughs> but my, my parents were settlers from another country, from Eastern Europe, that, you know, we were born here, we our feet are here on this earth and and that you're not saying hey you don't belong here like i don't hear anger no you know my i'm right now i'm looking i have a i'm in my my office and i got a picture one of my pictures that's right in front of me is my late father in his uniform he was oh. a warrior he was a warrior he oh. went he went to europe in the second world war he served he served he signed up and he knew there was something that was endangering the people in Mother Earth. Oh. And, I, and he had the brothers in arms 
I seen him with white men, their arms over each other, standing together. Mm-hmm. They had become one. You know, when you're in that kind of a situation, you know, I think racism at times goes out the door because you got to have each other's back. I'm Kathy Sabokin. You're listening to 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. My guest, Elder Jerry Ullman, and he is the host and producer of a podcast called Indigenous Is. And we're just having a conversation here about Indigenous issues, all kinds yeah. of issues, real issues. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Actually, the podcast is called Teachings in the Air. Teaching, yes. That's what we're doing. You're teaching. Yeah. Teaching. Yes. Okay, I have a question. Do you think that we're getting better uh, in terms of recognizing uh, Indigenous past? I mean, there's a lot of push on, there's a lot of, of uh, organizations opening up now, like um, promoting BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color uh, in, in more jobs, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, do you think that things are moving in a better direction? I I believe so, you know. Like I, when I compare my life, my life when I was young, we were segregated. Like I didn't I didn't integrate into the public school system until I was in grade ten. You know, other than that, we're in residential schools or what they call Indian day schools. You know, and um, you know, it was a cult- real culture shock for us when we when I remember I was at a residential school, I'd sleep there but they would bus us to town to go to high school. And just the communication patterns. And uh, people would look at us, you know, because we, you know, all of a sudden they got all these indigenous students in and we're looking at all these, you know, these white students. Right. So Indigenous is uh, your new series of podcasts. Yes. And where can we find them and listen to them? Okay, you can find them in teachingsintheair.ca. That's our website. You can also find them on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Oh, so you're covered from all angles. Oh, we got I got listeners, uh, you know, in different parts of the world. That's so cool. That is <laughs> It is so fantastic. cool. <laughs> okay, and what are your next couple of topics on Indigenous is so we know what to listen for? One's going to be on Indigenous humor, you <laughs> know, because we have this way about us, you know, the, in the most trying time, someone will come up with this thing and we're all crack up laughing and break the tension. <laughs> or we have people that just are gifts to us and name, and you know, because we, you know, we grew. We grow up in poverty and many are still poor. Just think of all the communities that don't have fresh water, for instance, and indigenous. Yeah, that don't get me going on that. I mean, yeah, so so but will the people there there will someone will make a, a joke and we'll all laugh. <laughs> so I want to do this thing on humor because in ceremonies we also had uh, people that would go in to relieve tension in uh, in ceremony even. And they're there to remind us not to take ourselves too seriously or we're too pompous, you know, bring us back to the level again. You know, so I want to do this one on humor. Then I want to do one on arts. We have wonderful artists. So many, so many. When you think of Picasso and those people, we got those. Like Picasso could draw three lines and people say, that's an antelope. (laughs) I have friends that can do that. (laughs) 
you know. And really so un- want- unique art. When you oh. art, you know it's Inuit, you know it's Métis, you know it's... Yes. Yeah, you know. Yes. So I want to do an art. I want to do one in traditional music, you know, drums, rattles, all of that. You know, I want to just strictly stay on the indigenous methodologies. I'm going to interview people that work in uh, physical fitness. Yeah. And then uh, there's, a, there's a group to call them um, Fit Nation in BC that they do these fitness things for diabetics, for elders, for teams. You know, I'm going to interview them on a podcast about being a Fit Nation. And um, there's one, I've done one on what they call, uh, you know, addressing lateral violence. That will be coming out next, I think. And then, um, anyway, I have a whole list of them. One, one of them is called Shut Up and Paddle. You know, it's about <laughs> complainers and whiners, you know, and, um, how it's not indigenous to do that, even though we'll do that and somebody will correct us. Sure. So, but I wanted to talk about all of that, you know, it's actually about living as a collective. You know, we can face anything. We can face this COVID as a collective. We all need each other in this COVID. Yes, we do. Well, Elder Jerry, I'd like to thank you for your time and your teachings. Mm-hmm really great to talk to you. And my guest has been Elder Jerry Oldman joining me from Brandon, Manitoba, telling us all about season four of Teachings in the Air. Season four is titled Indigenous Is. So Elder Jerry, thank you so very much for your time. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Yes, so you're listening to Moment of Truth, 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and on the Radio Player Canada app. And on our website, elementfm.ca, that's E-L-M-N-T-F-M.ca. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM.